Salam. I am your host, Aya Shabi, and you are listening to I Am Nala Podcast. Fatma Imam describes herself on Twitter as a Nubian Egyptian, third generation of internally displaced ethnicity, human rights researcher and translator, and her interests are gender, religion, culture, and race. Fatma Hashtini, I miss you and I miss Egypt and we will unpack all of this uh, but first we want to listen to a song, an Egyptian song that you have chosen. You posted something recently on Twitter about this date, 28th of September, 1970, in particular. <laughs> Look, I have a very complicated relation with Abdul Nasser because my dad used to love him so much because he gave him free education and that helped him. Uh, and my dad was educated. That's why he became a deputy of minister of uh, finance. He turned him from blue collar to white collar. And that was really, my dad really appreciated. And my dad also uh, participated in the war of uh, liberation of Sinai. And he made me when I was 12 years old, read Abdel Nasser or Alam. Of the Nasser in the world uh, of Muhammad Hassan in Hekel. He had all the books of Muhammad Hassan in Hekel, the ideology of Abdel Nasser. But Abdel Nasser for me is a very bad person because when he started the, the high dam, he really segregated our uh, nation. He did it in a very cruel way. They were placing people under the power of arms. They didn't uh, allow people to, uh, to take all what they have. As a Pan-African, I know that he was really supportive to the liberation movements in Africa, but as in a superior way, not as an equal way, I think he was very superior. So just to uh, bring our listeners here to, to speed with the history, so Jamal Abdel Nasser was the second president of Egypt. Uh, and you have been talking about how your father idealized him because of the education he provided for him and, you know, the position and all of that. But you don't feel the same way because of um, his stand and his action on the Nubians. And I want you to talk to our listener about Nubia, because there is an assumption from a lot of people that uh, North Africa is Arab. You know, this conversation happens all the time. North Africa is Arab. It's disconnected from the continent. There is nothing that links the north with the south of the Sahara and all of that. And people don't know that they, we have indigenous people of North Africa. We have in the Maghreb region, for example, Amazigh, where I come from. You have in your region, Nubia as with, with, with you know, legendary history. So I want you to really enlighten our listener on, on um, the connection to the continent 
as a Nubian and, and, and maybe, you, you know, go back to the foundation and explain to us the history. Nubia was a connection of the south and the north together because the ancient uh, Nubian family and kingdom who used to rule Africa from, from Egypt till Ethiopia. And in the family of 25th of the Egyptian history, it was Nubian. Uh, Nubian have been forcibly displaced uh, for four times. You just imagine had the trauma of this community, which been they before before Abdel Nasser they used to to be at their homes, and they found the water coming to them. And they take all their things and they go higher on the mountain. There was no help. There was no support. That's why it's called Nubian Mountains. Exactly. And they managed to go to Cairo to work, but they weren't educated. They don't speak Arabic well. And up till now, people, when they want to racially uh, insult you, they will say to you, you're just the doormen, the, the cookers, the butlers. So that's why when when I talk as an Nubian and I'm, I'm, I'm upper middle class, now, but you do, they start to remind you, you were not middle class, you were very underestimated in the Egyptian history. There is a mountain in the village of Balena. It has almost 5,000 children died after the, the displacement because of the bad conditions. It was very bad. The, the house was not completely built. There's no water, there's no electricity. It was very harsh, very harsh. But up till now, I'm suffering. I'm suffering with my language. I can't learn Nubian. It's very hard to find someone to learn to teach you. And when I found someone, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it because I don't use it. And of course, it's not official language in Egypt. So. We have... Four languages in Egypt, Al-Baja, Al-Sharia, Al-Amazigh, Nubian language, three languages plus Arabic. And that's the process of the Arabization of North Africa, right? Because I want to also, you know, listeners from other African countries who think that Arabs colonized the continent, but they don't see it as Arabs from other outside of the continent. They see it as North African Arabs Arabized and colonized the continent. But there is no realization that Arabs colonized North Africa, Arabized it, <laughs> and Islamized it. And then they went on to other uh, parts of the continent. So I think we, we should really dig deep into our history and, and see, um, you know, where is our common history, where is our common identity lies. Um, I, I want to I learn more from your personal experience as, as a Nubian. Uh, and also you are, you know, bordering with Sudan and, and what is your relationship also? Nubians are very interconnected with Sudan because the Nubia was, was divided in 1898 by the colonizer, by the British colonization. And that time was the first time for division of Nubia to two parts. We used to be connected with one community. That's why when I choose songs that really represent me, I choose Sudanese songs. Because as a Nubian, it represents me. People can have layers of identity. 
So let's listen to the song since you've chosen uh, a Sudanese song. Let's uh, you've chosen two, so let's listen to the first one. She sings the Nubian uh, as well. Nubanot uh, is a very uh, revolutionary song for Nubians, uh, for people of Nubia. And she's uh, she's not living in Sudan, she's living in the US. And she came to make some concert in Egypt. She was with Dinal with Eidi and other uh, artists, the part of the Nubia Nile uh, Basin uh, project. It was very good. They educated us about Ugandan song, Ethiopian songs. It was really good. And the Egyptians dealt with it in a very good way. They were all open to listen to other music, even they don't understand it. But it's good to, to listen to a Swahili song in the middle of Egyptian culture. That was very important. That's amazing. It's, uh, it's really beautiful. You know, I, I had uh, one, one time a Serbian friend who told me Egypt in Africa is like Serbia in Europe. <laughs> uh, you know, many people think Egypt is uh, part of the Middle East. You know, they call it the Middle East and North Africa region and all of this uh, division uh, or all of this perception that Egypt is not part of the continent but the history between you know Egypt and Sudan and then also now the division of Sudan and South Sudan what do you think about this politics and also from a pan-african perspective why do you think Egypt is part of Africa Egypt is African you are African it's very important to start this situation I think I remember when a Muslim Brotherhood was putting their constitution we had a problem on how to represent Africa in the constitution. And they said that Egypt is following to Africa. Egypt is part of Africa, but they don't say we're Africans. In 2013, 2014, I was part of the assistant committee of Mr. Halgay Adul, the Nubian representation representative in the committee of writing the constitution. And I was the one who wrote human rights uh, articles. One of the articles is Egypt is African, but the problem is that Egyptians see themselves higher, with more experience, with more knowledge, with more skills than the other African countries. And, and how they portray Africa as famine, war, corruption, militarization. This is, I think, if we're saying that we need to decolonize the European culture, we need to decolonize the Arabization culture of Egypt as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and we're very proud of you because you've been not only part of the revolution, but also part of the transition. And you fought for your right as Nubian, as African in 
uh, in the Constitution and in human rights. Um, and I want to uh, go on with uh, also the religious complexity of Egypt. So it, it's a layers of identities, like you said at the beginning. So we have the issue of Arabization, but we have also the issue of Islamization. Everyone think that any any country that has predominantly Arabic as a as a language, then automatically it's a Muslim country, <laughs> you know. But Egypt is known for the Coptic Orthodox Church. So uh, how do you explain to our listeners uh, the history of religion in Egypt and also the influence of religion? In the beginning, uh, for Nubians, for example, after the been uh, invaded by Arabs. We, we stayed as Christians for a long time till the King George II. There was a treaty called the Treaty of Waqt. Uh, they take a prince from the monarchical families of Nubia to teach him Arabic and Islam. And that's how we get to be Islamized. But for example, Nubians in the weddings, they say by the place of Mary and her son and the place of Prophet Muhammad in the weddings up to now. So that's how even if you go to Egyptian, Egyptian Nubian places, you will find crosses in the houses. I want to really dig into your personal feelings and your personal perspective, Fatma. As Fatma, what's your um no, not not the politics of religion, but what's your relationship with religion as a Nubian, uh, whether it's indigenous religion, whether it's, uh, you know, after Islamization, uh, what's your spirituality path? I consider myself a religious people. I pray, I fast, uh, I am uh, religious. Uh, and my name till the seventh grandfather is a Muslim. I, I think it's indigenous because we, for example, we have a very big Sufi, yeah, who's Nubian. And I have other uh, connections, like being a Muslim woman, how does it mean to be a Muslim woman? That takes me to Islamic feminism. I wrote my thesis, multi-university, about Islamic feminism in Egypt, how it is the reading of the text. And I'm active in Musawa, the campaign of reforming the Muslim family law. And I'm active in women living under Muslim laws. It's a solidarity network dealing with women in an Islamic context. This is how I feel myself. Like once I wrote to Amina Wadud, I told her without you, either I will be losing my pride as a woman or my face as a Muslim. Uh, but the books are very important. And uh, I'm very proud that I have personal relation to the lady Imam Amina Wadud and many other figures of uh, Islamic feminism in the world. The F words, feminista, feminism, you know, it scares a lot of people. What does it mean to be an African feminist? What is African feminism? What, why it's different from others? And now you said that your relationship even with Islam, it has to come from you as a feminist woman. Can you, can you talk more about that? Being an African feminist means that you believe in power of women facing all the disputes and problems like militarization, um, uh, westernization, the bad economic and social problems. Uh, I believe that I'm African woman 
because they've been born in Africa and I, I cherish my traditions and I cherish my being uh, and existence as a woman. And uh, I believe that women really need and keen to have a better life without violence. Which is female genital mutilation, which is still an issue in Egypt, a huh? big issue. It's a big issue. Uh, every now and then we find a girl that die in the operation. Even me, myself, in, in 1994, I was 12, and I was very uh, a bookworm. So I read the newspapers. It was the Cairo Summit uh, for Population by the UN. It was a very big uh, council conference, and they started talking about the FGM. By that time, CNN uh, featured uh, an operation of girls on online, on air. Al Imam of Al Azhar uh, saying that uh, FGM is part of Islam. Uh, my mother uh, wanted to make this operation to me, but my dad, he, was, he, he studied in the Islamic Studies uh, Institute. He said that Prophet didn't uh, mutilate his uh, daughters. He saved us. Yeah, the, the, the rates are, are really high and uh, in, in, in Egypt, in uh, South Sudan um, and in other parts of the continent, uh, even though um, publicly it was, you know, claimed to be a human rights violation, but we have a long way to go to really make the communities believe and act on it. Um, since we're talking about um, feminism and, and Islam, uh, you know, people would expect that, especially women, um, if they are Muslim, if they're practicing, they would be veiled, uh, they would, you know, uh, practice certain things. There is, there is a lot of uh, stereotypes and assumptions about what a Muslim woman looks like uh, and what she would do in her life, that she would get married maybe at, uh, you know, a uh, very early age. No, they wouldn't think of... Fatma Imam, who is a very independent, successful woman who uh, has been very vocal, who has been at the forefront of a revolution. That's not, you know, in the in the world view of what a Muslim woman looks like and acts like, that's not the image. So what what is your personal experience? What what does it mean for you to be a Muslim woman and a feminist? I, I think my experience is similar to many of the women experience in Egypt. Like a lot of Muslim women in Egypt took off the veil. It, uh, it was uh, now in my family, we have six or seven girls who took off the veil. And this is a big number in a traditional family. And also the idea of being married, I I was refusing the, 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 the traditional marriage or the arranged marriage. That's why I, I didn't get any uh, suitors. Uh, unlike my sister, my sister, she met uh, suitors and about she didn't find someone to 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 be uh, suitable to her. Now I'm I'm unveiled and everybody know that and they accept it because it's a fact and no one will change it but me if I wanted to change it. For example, my idol 
I mean, I'm a dude. She put photos to with her hair and put photos with uh, hijab. So hijab is not that precious, as they put it. This is me, and who want to accept me, accept me, and who doesn't want to accept me, it's your own problem. Uh, you mentioned uh, Fatma Marnisi, who is a Moroccan feminist, right? She's one of your inspiration. Yes. Yeah. I read many of her books. Uh, she she's very intelligent. Uh, the idea how she ma- managed to uh, to put sociology in interdisciplinary way with uh, with anthropology and political science and religion, religious studies that was very important. I read her when I was really young. I was 21. I was working in Cairo Institute of Human Rights, and they have huge library. I was taken from the library, and now, ironically, Cairo Institute of Human Rights is in Tunisia. Yes, yes, yes. And I would encourage everyone to to really uh, read Fatma Marnisi, um, Moroccan she feminist. Just say something about Tunisia and Egypt. Uh, we are learning from Tunisians so much. Now they have NGOs like Menamti. Menamti is working for anti-racial discrimination against black people in uh, Tunisia, and we're learning from it. But uh, really, I learned a lot from Saadia Mzbah, from the people, from Maha Abdel Hamid, uh, a lot of the Tunisian black women that are leading the change against black people in Tunisia. And mashallah, you managed to adopt the law of anti-discrimination in 1918. And this is very important because we have an article in the constitution saying that we should have a commission of anti-discrimination, but it didn't start up till now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I look forward to reading your book, Fatma. I'll be the first to, to buy it. Uh, and, then, and then your name, actually next to your name, Fatma Imam, you wrote Fatu Sakuri. <laughs> it's my name in Nubian. Fatma is Fatu, Sakuri is my family. So it's Fatou Sakuri, and my, my, my friends call me Fatou, like uh, my any informal name <laughs> is Fatou. I love it more than Tamatum or Kamtam. <laughs> That's beautiful. Fatou, from now on, Fatou. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, I wanted maybe for us to listen to the uh, last song before we, we come back. Tell us the song, Fatu. It is uh, for the Africa uh, artist uh, Muhammad Waridi, who is Nubian. He was very active in defending Nubian rights. He got arrested in 1964, refusing the forced displacement of Nubians. And he's my best singer in Sudan. This song, he's uh, flirting with the girl, saying that she has Gamar Boba or... Uh, the, the traditional Nubian earring, which is very light 
and he said to her that the gummer boba is very heavy on you because she is very delicate. That's that's very very beautiful. Tell us a bit more about your Nubian culture. Uh, you know the, the this kind of uh, you know in relationships and family and as a community. What what people don't know maybe about Nubian culture. People might not know about uh, the language mainly. Uh, they say that it died. That's not true. Uh, in the displacement, speak the new the language. And now there is a very active uh, movement to uh, revive the language. But now Nubian is not similar to, to English or Arabic, so I, I have found very hard to reflect on it. Uh, we have one of the biggest celebrations of the Nubian uh, culture is the weddings. Songs, dancing, playing, even if we don't understand, but we play Nubian songs. Uh, I think well, this is one of celebration. Also, it's very important to say that in 2011, I was part of the Nubian Youth Federation for uh, Democracy. Uh, we were working after the revolution on uh, racism, earning back our land on the right to, right to return, how to celebrate the culture. It was very important because we uh, we celebrate the dates of the displacement and we make talks about it. The current issue now is the government is giving people compensations, but they are not talking about the right to return. They didn't start it. Yeah, and that's what you're, you're fighting for. Uh, when people follow you on social media, they would see a lot of statements by you on the right to return and your advocacy about you as a person and your resilience because you've been through a lot. It's not only fighting for your own rights as a woman, uh, you know, with your all dimensions, whether it's, uh, you know, religious, intellectual, uh, the way you want to, to be perceived by the word, but you also have been fighting for a cause, which is your people, your people's rights. Um, it's It comes with a lot of struggles. So how could you all these years to remain resilient, remain um, empowered, uh, wake up in the morning and continue the fight, despite all the disappointments. You know, you fight, you fight, you fight, and maybe you don't have what you expected until now, but where do you get that power from, Fatu? I get the power from, uh, from colleagues, the people who work with me, uh, I got the power from our elders, the people who've been displaced and they can't return back again. I still remember my uh, grand-grandmother uh, when she talked about the, the old land before droning it. I Sometimes I, may, I think of my mother and the woman who've been displaced and my dad, the woman who, a man who has been displaced. I think my people are the real inspiration that helped me to continue my fight. And also something is very important, the people who, who, who cooperate with this cause, the Egyptians, the regular Egyptians who reply to my tweets, who say to me, educate us, we don't know about this, this is not on the social media, this is not on the formal media. This is very important. 
yes, we we are with you and we stand by you until you win this fight. So uh, we're coming a bit uh, closer to the end of our podcast today. And I want to know a little bit more if you are heartbreaker or heartbroken, Fatu. Broken all the time. <laughs> Broken all the time. How? Uh, I have humiliation in my life. The first was very destructive. He, he he left me in a very human, inhuman way. And he was the first one to love. So I was open to all, with all my feelings to be loved and to love back. He didn't uh, appreciate me as I should be appreciated. Second one needed the more traditional girl than me. He said to me, you're very revolutionary, I can't get it you. My family will not uh, accept. I feel very, <laughs> very shy to say to talk about this. <laughs> what would you say to girls, especially we, you know, uh, in, in this age and time of um, different um, factors, as you say, involved in, in being in a relationship. And in our societies, we're very conservative in talking to our girls about relationships. Uh, what, would you, what would you tell the girls who are in a destructive relationship right now and they don't know how to get out of it? You have to follow your own conditions. He has to follow your conditions. He, you have to say what's important to you and what's important to this relationship. You have to say it when it stop here, when he can stop and where he can continue. You have to tell him that you are a woman and you have your needs and you have your uh, prospects and he will be part of your life, not all your life. You know, there is assumption of women uh, who reach a certain age and who have to get married in our societies I'm and have children. I'm not married yet. <laughs> How how did you survive the pressure? <laughs> now they are in, in every in every wedding. Everybody say to me, "Inshallah, you'll be married soon." Inshallah, you'll be married. I don't want to get married, Aslan. It's not my problem. Really, what I really want to do, I need to uh, to give birth to baby. I I want a baby, but marriage in itself is not the hope. But I need to be in Inshallah, I want to have a baby. You want children, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So you talked about, you know, your hair in, in, uh, when you went to high school. Was that a struggle? Everybody, they used to put pens in my hair. <laughs> they, they used to put pens in my hair and tell me that my hair is very big, we can't see. They make me stay in the last uh, pinch in order to make them see they were very harsh on me you know african hair for them was a problem but i kept it yeah you kept your natural hair and it's beautiful Amazing. And then you, you also, you know, I remember when, when we met in Egypt, you told me how uh, inspired by Mandela you are. I remember that day, maybe it was a commemoration of Mandela and you have this relationship of inspiration to him, even though he's from, I mean, he's inspiration to the world, uh, but I think it's a bit more deeper than that for you as an African. He really felt 
knowledge and resilience and revolution he was revolutionary he was he was a good person he was kind he just want people to live in a good situation in a good conditions i read his memoir and i watched the movie of idris alba i remember i was young when he got the immigration to be president of south africa i remember the, the in the football world cup when he came with the car he was very weak and but he really is an inspiration not only mandela many of the african leaders especially in the liberation uh, phase they were they inspired me because in the faculty of economics and political science i was i was specialized in african studies uh, so i got to learn more about the leaders of africa which is amazing because i wish we have more uh, books and more uh, history and more curriculum in our schools about our african history our common history and the liberation movement uh, i think it's it our generation at least the millennials we went out there looking for them <laughs> uh, but i hope we can push for more um, africanity in our institutions um, Fatu, this has been an amazing uh, pleasure for me to host you today. So, thank you so much, AA. I really appreciate it that you take of your time to talk to me about my life and uh, my uh, thoughts. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Uh, and I wish, inshallah, we will meet soon. This time in Tunisia. I want to come to Tunisia. <laughs> yes! Come to Tunisia, <laughs> for sure. I uh, will be so happy to have you in Tunis. And I hope you stay safe, healthy and doing well and keeping the fight. And thank you for being with us today. To stay updated with our work, go to nalafem.org and sign up to our newsletter. You can also sign our manifesto on nalafem.org slash sign. And you can follow us on social media at Nalafem. This is your host, Aya Shebi, and see you in the next episode.